Welcome to Abstractable. I'm Lockie and this is Ryan. And this is a podcast for people like us who are curious about the world around them. And we want to learn with you as we go. In this episode, we talk about the book Principles by Ray Dalio. And what do we cover? We talk about Ray's life from his humble beginnings to running the most successful private hedge fund in the world. It's $80 billion under management successful. Uh, We talk about his principles and what they are, where they've come from and how everyone else can develop them. Um, He notes these as being his source of success. Talk about his life of radical truth, transparency and openness, um, as well as lots of meandering conversation. Uh, You can find Ray at principles.com or at Ray Dalio on the socials. Um, We had a lot of fun recording this first episode and we hope you enjoy. Here we are. We're back. We're back. New and improved setup. <laughs> we've got we've got two boxes represented here. Yeah, slightly different variations in color yeah. and uh, and style, style and that, texture. Uh, yeah, but doing the job. You don't need all that fancy gear. No, and we've got two mics though this time. Yeah, rather which, than one. Yeah, and different location. Uh, my home. So. And I like the background. Yeah, Holly's sitting there chilling out. So we've got our, we're our fellow observer. Yeah. Our critique, our magic First critique guest. for today. <laughs> First guest. Guest interview. Yeah. Anyway, um, so we're talking about principles. Mr. Ray Dalio. Yeah. Been excited to um, have a chat about this book again. Again, <laughs> we've already, yeah, for clarity and transparency, we've already recorded this once. Probably twice. I reckon. I think, I think we had a go just as a bit of a bit of fun early yeah. on. Yeah. Then we had a bit more of a serious go. Yeah. Um, and this is part three. Mm. Hopefully we're going to have some audio quality we can put up with. Yeah. And some video footage to accompany it. There's the well-loved version right there. Yeah, that's oh, well and truly loved. It it's, is a beautiful thing. I think, I think it's almost, there's probably a little bit of water damage in there as well. It, but, makes, but <laughs> it makes me want the, the hard copy. There's plenty, plenty of dog yeah. ears in it though. Oh. So, um, and plenty of... <laughs> Grey pencil all the way through. Really? Scattered through. Notations. Notations. What do they call it? Uh, uh, Marginalia. What? Marginalia. What is that? It's where you fill the margins with writing and words and... Really wanky. Pictures. (laughs) Where did I hear that from? I don't know. That's a good And I'm sure it's a made up word. I'm sure if we Googled marginalia, it would not exist as a word. So I'm sure it's a... uh, it's a newly found word. Yeah. No, good. Anyway. So. We're here. And it's been actually, what, a couple of months since we've recorded anything. Yeah. We've had a, um, a slight had a hiatus. hiatus. Yeah. yeah. But um, for multiple reasons, been doing some other things. You've kayaked to Tasmania from Victoria. I have. Which is pretty awesome. It take you long to <laughs> bring that crazy. up. Pretty crazy. Well, it's... <laughs> It's an awesome point. I mean, we've got to talk about it. So, and, and what we might even be able to weave it into the conversation yeah. later on. Or should I say canoe? No, you shouldn't say canoe <laughs> because <laughs> not not that I not that I really care. He's a kayak snob. He's, yeah, he doesn't want to be known as a canoeist. Yeah, a canoeist a versus a kayak. I'm sure. I'm sure there's there's far more professional kayakers than I that would maybe be offended by that. Mm. But I. Mm. I'm just not fast because they get the idea. You're on the yeah. water. You're yeah. in a boat. You got to paddle. It. You're paddling. Yeah, you're trying you to know. get from A to B. Yeah, 
Hopefully you don't get stuck at sea somewhere along the way. That's it. What an adventure. Yeah. It's awesome. So, so it was um yeah, it was exciting. Yeah. And we can um I think I think we might have a little chat about it later on in this episode. Oh, I like that. I like that. Precursor. Um, For clarity, I did not kayak to Tasmania. <laughs> but you're keen to buy my kayak, aren't you? You're still keen to <laughs> nah. buy it. Nah. I like that you're selling it. You are sort of like I've done that now. I mean, like, no more kayaking for me. Move on to the uh, the next thing. Yeah, land, the land based adventure this time. Yeah. I, think. I think I think I've decided it. There's one thing I decided out of the trip. It's that I'm a I'm a land dwelling creature. Ah. Maybe not so much a, a sea seaborn seaborn. Your sea legs weren't yeah. Yeah, didn't get seasick. One of the boys did. Really? Yeah, but, far out. But, but not me. That'd, I didn't really even really think of that. I guess such a small yeah. thing, you wouldn't necessarily associate that with getting seasick. But I'd suggest that um, the big the big ferry, the Spirit of Tasmania, which oh, is the the big boat that I've goes been on that, from yeah. to and from Victoria and Tassie, I'd suggest that made me feel a little bit uneasy, you know, on the trip back, which is quite interesting because you just come off paddling the. The Bass Strait. Yeah, I reckon yeah. it's yeah, it's it's more pronounced in a bigger. Yeah, I think it's just like this big slow yeah. you know, movements that are coming yeah. through that really impact it. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people get sick on the yeah. spirit. Yeah. So one of the boys had he was he was popping quells, which are they're like the, sea the sea sickness, sickness tablets yeah. every yeah. every day <laughs> that we were paddling. Um, but there was a couple of quieter days that he didn't have to do it, and yeah. it was quite good because he. The, the quells make you feel a bit tired. Yeah, bit they put you to sleep. Put you yeah. to sleep. So that's good. And he couldn't have caffeine to sort of counteract it because they also dehydrate you. Right. So like the last thing you want, you know, we want is when you're physically exerting yeah. yourself to be completely dehydrated. Yeah, because you're yeah. having a hard enough time anyway. Mm. Um, not to mention all the salts and everything else that all yeah. that licking your lips is quite good. Yeah. You, okay. you get the sea spray <laughs> coming in. Oh. You can lick the lips and oh. get there some of the salt to keep you from cramping. Um, I'm not sure that's if it not is actually. something I would have thought of. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. It's not. It's not actually. I don't actually know if it's a real thing or not. I'm right. Sure, I'll be corrected on this. But hey, hey, placebo, effect, placebo, whatever. If it does the job. It does the job. So when I um, there's a podcast that I like called The Dollop. Um, yes. And at the start, he screams out the date when it's ready to start talking about the actual podcast. So I think maybe we need to think of something like that. So Ring what does he, he, he do? What does he do? Like, because, you know, every story starts at, with a, a date and so he'll just scream into the microphone, 1874. <laughs> and then all the other guy's like, shit. Um, so 2017. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can rip that off. Um, but, yeah, so should we get into the book? Because otherwise we'll talk for 50 minutes about sea salt. Yeah, and, and kayaking. That's shit I wasn't going to talk about. <laughs> well, we did. Yeah. No. Good at that. And we, like you say, we'll probably touch on it later. So this book released September 2017. Um, did you read it soon afterwards or? Yeah, it would have been, would have been really soon afterwards. Now, I don't even, I can't remember how I rec- heard about the book. Um, I'm taking a punt. It was probably the Tim Ferriss show. Yeah. Um, probably an interview with Ray Dalio on the Tim Ferriss show or something similar. Yeah, and I've listened to the, his interview. That was good. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's probably where I picked it up, mm. and so it would have been shortly after. Um, so it would have been when I first read it. Would have been now just over a year ago. Yeah, so it would have been the end of twenty seventeen. 
that I started reading it. Yeah, awesome. Um, took um, me a while to read though. Took, oh, took quite a while to get it's through. A l- yeah, it's not something you're going to read in one sitting, absolutely. But it's also quite easy to come back and pick it up too, the way it's written, which I suppose we'll talk about. Yeah, so... Um, so I guess it, you'd probably put it in the self-help genre, would you? Yeah. Or business a, book or – I mean, that's what it is um, categorised as on Amazon. Um, and it actually, book. yeah, reached number one business book of 2017, even though it was released late in the year. Um, and it was the New York Times number one bestseller as well. And I guess you'll tell us a bit more about Ray, but it's probably one of the first times – someone's gone into such detail about their process and the way they live and work and broken it down into actionable steps like he has, um, that it was, it's a very different type of book than any I've read before, any that are in that genre, I think. And being released in 2017, I think, you know, the GFC had finished almost, you know, five, six years ago, um, even longer. And, I think, yeah, people were sort of soul-searching around business and operating and there's, a, there's probably a lot of negative sentiment around business as well, I think, um, and that's only gotten more since this book was released, I believe. Um, and, yeah, he kind of just it's cuts through a lot of those things about how he, you know, the book split up into life and work and how he weaves those two things together and and how to how he approaches life to be happy and also successful, I guess. But yeah. um, And that was what was kind of quite groundbreaking about it, plus the fact that he's such a successful person and really just opened up everything about how he works. Because mm, it was it was post-GFC and, and their stellar performance and sort of this, mm. this rise to fame that occurred as a result of their strong performance throughout. His company, Bridgewater Associates. Yeah. That, and Associates perhaps, yeah. Yeah, that, that then put them into the limelight and then sort of became the catalyst for him making available to all public on, you know, the company website, his principles, which had been developed and, and released internally to the company previously, mm. um, which is quite interesting. And he, he talks about in the book how he had this internal debate about whether to release, whether not to release the principles themselves out to the public. But but, I th- but the whole decision-making around it, um, one revolved around his own principles being, um, which we'll talk about later, about this, sort of this radical truth, transparency, openness mm. um, perspective. And then, and then the other piece is there was sort of all this speculation about how did they do it? And this mm. was this was him saying, "Well, this is what we're following. This is what we're doing." And there's going to be a follow-up book, which I'm really hanging out for. Yeah, there's um, a few things he said in there that he was going to release that he, like some of the apps that they use, he was saying that mm. was going to come out, but that hasn't. Yeah. And then he's writing a second one, which I guess takes a lot longer. So. So he's had, but since then he's had the big debt crisis, which yeah. has been released. That was last. That year. was. Uh, I had a quick look at that, and I was like, "Geez, this is very Intense. technical." <laughs> I don't <laughs> we know. Need, if, yeah. We, we need to follow on to principles first, so we can. So we can then read that. Yeah. yeah so. But he's certainly very active. Yeah. So. Because he's going to. So 
just to, to round that off, he's going to release all of his investment and economic principles into a, I imagine, a similar size book. That would be um, awesome. Which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. That would be insightful. Um, he's got a really good video, which we'll probably put up a link to, um, that outlines these principles in a 10-part series. But then there's a second one he's done called um, Understanding the Economic How the Economic Machine Works in 30 Minutes or something like that. Don't quote me on the name, but mm-hmm. if you Google Ray Dalio Economics, it'll come up on YouTube. Um, definitely give that a look. It's a really quick and simple way that sort of he probably starts um, sh- to touch on those sort of things and I reckon he will continue to do that. We were probably working together in 2017, weren't we? Westgate Tunnel Project? Yeah. Um, far out, that's a while ago. Did I suggest this book to you? You did actually, yeah. Yeah. And I started reading it, got it on the Kindle that night, so yeah. I'll remember this now. Because I, I just picked it up, end of 2017, we're coming up to the conclusion of the year and I think we we're both having a conversation how we were um, very close to departing from that particular Set project. project. <laughs> well, yeah, because you'd actually resigned to go into the consulting world. So yeah. Pretty cool. But um, that's, that's a story for another time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I don't want to reveal too much. So what's, what's the deal with Ray? Yeah, so um, I, he's he's been he's been um, nice enough to to give a very detailed um, outline of his his life uh, at the beginning of this book, which has been really good for for me to help me talk about it um, and not have to rely too much on Wikipedia, <laughs> yeah, or the other usual sources. But um, so just for at the start of each. One of these, we're going to try and go through a context and a bio of the author and when they released it and stuff and try and see some patterns through these different people and why perhaps um, see some similarities or differences and provide context to the book that we're going to talk about because I think we believe that that kind of, particularly in non-fiction, is pretty important, including fiction, but um, we can give some further insight into what the hell's in it. Yeah, and, and, and hopefully like that sort of that, that story, that the narrative of their life that develops mm. and, and as you said, pulling out some of the key themes that, that maybe arise or mm. similarities that you can draw from, from these. Um, Something we're interested in. Oh, totally. So um, I've got all the facts and figures here. Yeah. Something which he's said he or says himself is one of his weakest or his major weaknesses which is his rote memory right. his inability to pull out these facts and figures i'm no good at that either i'm so hopeless i can't add things up in the supermarket and stuff so like we'll be <laughs> christy laughs like because you know we're both engineers and i'll be like trying to add up three numbers and she's just looking at me shaking her head go what is oh, wrong with you, you? Because you can't remember the last number. I can't like add them together in my head. Like I'm like, because uh, that skill for me is totally replaceable by a calculator. So I just haven't really nailed it. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm very much um, in that similar bracket to Ray, where it's you know those people that just literally just pull things out so they they can say they remember 
mm. person's name. They yeah. remember when they were born, remember where they're from yeah. and what impact they had in some particular way or, or the book that they – the three books that they ended up writing. I, I – I would struggle to even remember the person's name, let alone all those <laughs> yeah. other facts and figures. How bad's that when you shake someone's hand, they tell you the name, and by the second shake, you've already forgotten <laughs> who they are. You just You're start like, calling them mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we have that advantage here. Though. We, we have that sort of fallback. Yeah. Um, yeah, in Australia. Call someone, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Aussie privilege. Yeah. I started trying to like think of their name, the first celebrity that comes to mind match that to try and remember their name but that didn't work very well so don't do that <laughs> I, think, I think i think that that's a um i think that's a caught up in the moment thing too mm. as opposed to necessarily an issue with memory yeah true i think i don't think the memory the rote memory is engaged at that point in time yeah yeah um true. whereas maybe going down to you know let's assume that you've actually worked out what this person's name is you haven't seen them for a couple of weeks or maybe a couple of months, maybe more, more so a couple of months. That's when for me, I start to yeah. waver a little bit in my Or memory. even if you kind of know, you're just a little bit not confident enough to yeah, just go yeah. with, Hey Max, and yeah. it's, his name's John. And <laughs> Damn it. Or his name's Matt, not Max. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. <laughs> or like sometimes I'll like roll it out, but just really, really quiet. Like so thanks for Max. Yeah, partic- well, particularly if it was, you're not sure if it was Matt or Max, then you could go, Matt. Is that Max or Matt? <laughs> and, and, but that, that's the other thing, right? If you had to call him John, you'd probably pull you up on it and say, <laughs> Hey, come no, on. It doesn't start with J. It's, Have it's you been in that Max. situation where someone calls you the wrong name, but it just gets too awkward? So the- it's happened for too long yeah. that you just don't want to correct them? Yep. <laughs> and you just got to roll with being. You know, Ross or something. Yeah. <laughs> and it depends on who the person is too, right? As to whether you're going to call them. Like, so so now I would have, I feel like maybe that's something when I was maybe a, a younger a, fella. A younger, yeah. younger fella. A bit more of a, yeah. uh, in my teenage years yeah, or you even younger. Have, you wouldn't have done it, yeah. Yeah. But, but now you're like, I feel like now I would. Listen here, buddy. Yeah. Come on, mate. My name's Ryan. It's not Brian. <laughs> Brian. That's. <laughs> Uh, Brian. Which, which that, that might, would be that my, might stick. That's, that's the go-to. That's yeah, always well, the go-to. That might stick. And I think it's my own enunciation, poor enunciation of words that probably leads to it, but mm. Brian's a common one. So 1949. 1949. <laughs> Born in 1949, Long Island, and he is the son of a jazz musician that's and cool. a um, stay-at-home wife. Right. Um. Really cool. Uh, and he, I, I think he lived a sort of bit of a middle class sort yep. of upbringing or, or middle working class sort of up, upbringing, uh, as we'd probably more describe here. Did he travel around? Um, he certainly did, but he, he, he'd done a lot of travel certainly later on later on in his, his years, but um, as, as a kid, I'm not sure. I'm not Maybe sure just within travel. the US or something. But. Yeah, I'm not sure how much travel he did as, in his younger, younger life, but he had a lot of other um, interests. So um, as a way for him to avoid chores at home um, and this sort of love of money and the, the independence and freedom that money provides – um, he w- worked a, a massive range of part-time, you know, 
and 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 casual jobs in his in his in his younger years. Um, includes paper routes, shoveling snow from driveways, being a golf caddy. He was a busboy and dishwasher at local restaurants. He stocked shelves at department stores, and all of this started from the age of eight. Eight years of age. Hmm. So when he was when he was um, twelve years of age is when he was doing his, his golf caddy work and this exposed him to um you know the typical clientele of the golf course business the, people yeah the business people the business meetings and um there was all this all this excitement around the stock market at this point in time and he was you know in the right place at the right time <laughs> or maybe I don't. I don't know whether if I was twelve years old, it'd be the right time. But certainly for Ray, it was the right time. Yeah. And um, he overheard all the sort of bounties that lie within the stock market, and you know the winnings that were to be had. So this got him really excited to to jump into that space. Um, and he ended up ended up investing um, some money uh, in the stock exchange into Northeast Airlines was his very first stock that he purchased. Okay. Um, and this, this was with the money that he'd been earning from all the part-time jobs. Right. And, and almost you'd almost say that his first principle was developed here at this age. Not necessarily a good one, but um, the strategy for his investment was that the more shares I bought, the more money I would make. Okay. Hey, it's all about the hey, quantity. it's a start. <laughs> Um, and so funnily enough um, he was able to have a bit of a positive feedback loop on this stage and and the company whilst it was about to go broke was actually acquired by a a bigger company and so he made quite a bit of money on his first investment and he loved it and that might have been enough for him to sort of tick the wheels over so um, you know all this excitement um, eventually led him to jumping into the Fortune magazine um, and within the Fortune magazine, there was these little coupons that you could, you know, snip out. Remember the days of the coupons and things. Now, now you just Google it yeah, or whatever. Well, you Google the coupons. You, yeah, you know, I remember the coupons. Yeah, the old Pizza yeah. Hut. Yeah, coupons. so good. Yeah. Oh, you still did you ever with- go to the pizza? Right, this is a full tangent. Yeah. Did you <laughs> did you ever go to like the Pizza Hut or you can eat? Was that I a went thing? To the, yeah, I went to the All You Can Eat. Oh, that was, that was like was my that? favourite. That was my favourite thing. Oh, I know. Post soccer season. Yeah, exactly. And the, you just load up on the soft serve. <laughs> oh, my God. Load up on the pizza first, surely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I was more, 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 more hit face. that. But because I remember you used to like try not to eat that day. so you could. But that was actually a bad strategy. If I had my time again, I would have just had a few small meals leading up because then you can fit more in, I reckon. Your stomach if you shrinks. Don't, yeah, if you don't eat all day, your stomach shrinks and it's one of my many regrets. Yeah, not eating enough at the all you can eat at Pizza Hut. Yeah. So, so was there coupons that you'd get? That would- well, you could get coupons for like large pizzas and stuff and yeah. you know, that was more... What I'd Where are they now? Where are those? Pizza? I think they're on. Oh, or they're probably just sh- online. It's just shit now, isn't it? Like, but probably always was actually. Domino's is the new Pizza Hut now, isn't it? Oh, is it? I don't know. <laughs> I've never had one, but I assume so. <laughs> so, so he was right. <laughs> he was sniffing coupons out of this yeah. out of this um, Fortune 500 magazine, and the coupons meant or allowed him to get a free copy of 
particular company's annual reports. Because you know that Groupon was a thing for a while, wasn't it? Groupon. It's like a website where you could get coupons. Yeah, but then it, that still is a thing. But I I'm think sure. it's gone down in popularity. I think it had a big fall oh, did it? from grace. Like people kind of loved it at the start and now have gone off Was it a subscription based? Was it like you need I don't to know. sign up or something? I'm not sure. Because I know now like whenever I'm at checkout of an online store, first thing I do, or sorry, not the first thing I do, I'm obviously loaded up my cart with whatever I'm buying. You're about to put in your, your details. There's always that like promotional code or yeah. coupon code or whatever. Yeah. First thing I'm doing, straight into Google. Really? Yeah. That's a good tip. Yeah, but it... it Does it work? I would say the strike rate's about 10%. So... Worth it for... It could quick, be worth it, yeah. I'm going to do that now. It's and good, and, good and even, even if it is, um, even if it's like free delivery. But the issue is, right, you've got to go through all these like... <laughs> What you, you know, if you if you went back 10 years ago and you went into some of these websites, you'd be really sort of hesitant to click on things because you might get a bloody virus on your computer or <laughs> the something. The pop-up era. Yeah, the pop-up era. But yeah. but now that... Now they just yeah. um, track you when you don't know. Yeah, they're just doing it all. Obvious. Yeah, they're all, they're all just like yeah. data mining your, yeah. your IP address and everything yeah. else. So. Which is why we're blurring our faces on this. Yeah, yeah. And your name's Brian. <laughs> My alias is Brian. <laughs> Just drop the B. Yeah. <laughs> um, and <laughs> um, and now you can do it and you get you still get the funny pop-ups and things, but I don't know. I think I, I assume just because they're going to get some sort of personal information about you, they're probably on selling to someone else that yeah. they just give it away. Yeah. Most of the time, ninety percent of these things are just absolute garbage, or they expired a year ago, or right, right. you know, a couple of months ago. So they're not right. relevant. You're really putting me off now doing this, but could be worth a quick Google because I have. There has been times where I'll free delivery, or that's you know, nice, or you've got this sort of this sort of um, membership link rather than just going through the normal website and mm. you know, yeah, applies okay. A, okay. a discount or something. So, well, there is a clearance sale that you didn't know about. Mm. Um, that was on the website. Worth a shot. Yeah. Worth a shot. Worth a Google. Yeah. Um, so anyway. Coupons. Ray. Ray coupons. Starts What he ended up doing, what he ended up doing was he, uh, he didn't just ask for one of these companies' annual reports. Because obviously, you know, back, back yep. then, you know, you're talking little book being delivered. Yeah. He asked for all 500. Um, <laughs> As you do. So, he, <laughs> so I think he had a little chuckle when his mailman was, Try to lug them in. Lug in 500 annual reports um, as opposed to now, again, bringing up Google's had about four plugs this episode already, but now we just Google Mm. the the PDF of the annual report and we can get the last decade or Mm. their entire history of annual reports and probably then all the analysis of the the annual reports by some other company at the same time. So (laughs) information's come a long way. so anyway, due to uh, the market at the time, it was just, everything was just going up. So this is, you know, you're talking sort of, you know, 50s and 60s. Here, yeah. Um, or certainly. So know. he's fairly, yeah, he's an old guy. You said 1947. So yeah. 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 Probably. Yeah. And so. In his latter years. Everything sort of in this post-World War Two. Boom. Boom. The nifty 50 or yeah. all that. Yeah. The nifty 50s. Well, that's where the, yeah. Um, everything was on the up, and so the 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 way that Ray saw it at the time was that investing seemed like simply a matter of buying anything and watching it go up. 
<laughs> There's been periods, like I would describe the housing market in Australia as until probably recently as being like that. In that category? Yeah. yeah. And reading the book, that book by Howard Marks, I was telling you about the, what's it called? Understanding the market cycle. He goes into a lot of that sort of the different, because, you know, you always hear, oh, buy when others are fearful and or whatever. Well, shit, I can't remember it. What is that? <laughs> buy when others are fearful and sell when everyone else is celebrating or something. That yeah. is not the same, but that's the idea, you know. But it's actually your human nature makes it very hard for you to actually do that. And he goes into a lot of detail around, diff- you know, how you'll feel at different points in the market and how to sort of pick the cycle. But knowing that you can't really pick the cycle, you know, he's a real. Um, but one of the things is, yeah, okay, here's the some of the things that happen in a boom, you know. Everyone just buys and thinks that it's just a matter of keeping keeping on buying, you know, and it, just watch it go up. It's always going up or there's a different technology that makes things different this time or a different condition that means it will never go down, but it always does. Mm. It just takes time. That's it. And it's like this, that, that whole like space of sentiment. And there's actually like, I wish I, wish I had the quote, but I might even look it up. When, when you're next having a chat. but Be um, fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. There yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Which Sorry. is like, yeah. Didn't I, mean to interrupt. Oppose, oppose the, uh, the sentiment of the market. Mm. But then there's like the, the counterbalance to that. You know, the, mm. what about the people that are thinking the same way that you are? And then what about the people that are thinking the next step beyond that as well? And in the moment, you yeah. just don't know what the future is going to hold. It's so easy in hindsight. But yeah. There's, there's all this sort of – Whatever the case, there's always this like courage that's talked about, you know, this, you know, you need to be brave with yeah. the market. Yes. But that's only an element because you also need to be an absolute expert and know it. Yeah. And yeah. I, think, I think just reading the extent of, say, what Bridgewater and Associates have gone to just in their mm. machines and systems and mm. things that have been developed as a result, it's, it's, it's insane. amazing, isn't it? And these things have been in development for Five decades. Yeah. Four decades. A group Four of the smartest decades. people in the world and they're only just beating it all. Well, yeah. they're pretty good, but, you know, it's certainly not. It's, it's not certainly a not easy, is it? No. It's not like, oh, follow these three rules and, you know, which, yeah. you know, it's made me think about whether you actually bother playing, investing yourself at all. But then trusting others doesn't seem to be much better. Go and buy the history, you know, when they do analysis on stock pickers and stuff. Most of them are, are not very good. Well, I think I think the, the crux of that is that stock picking is not a not something you should be involved in. Yeah. Not stock. a thing. Yeah. 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 Not something to not something to jump into. The um <laughs> there's there's an interesting it's an interesting quote. Well not a quote, but I heard a heard a story is, you know, Jumping into the ocean of the stock market, right? You know, you're jumping into the tank of all these these experts, these you know these, ex, these guys that just live and breathe this. And and an interesting parallel is, you know, would you would you face off against you know Rafael Nadal on the tennis court? <laughs> yeah. No, because you're going to be brutalized. You know, would you jump into the ring with the champion MMA fighter? Mm. No, because you probably be more than brutalized. Yeah. Um, 
You'll die. Quite literally, <laughs> probably die. So why, you know, why would you then, you know, yeah. risk all of your life savings or, you know, as some people do on particular stocks or on yeah. particular inclinations <laughs> towards. Yeah, it's just gambling, which is kind of what Ray's describing he was doing at the time, right? Spot on. Without realising it. <laughs> yeah, and so um, what what ended up basically happening is 1967, um, um, there was um, a number of things going on, but 1967 there was a decline, right? And this sort of basically caused a chain reaction of um, – um, almost like a revolution, an internal revolution within Ray um, to occur. And it was at, you know, obviously at the similar time during the, as the Vietnam War um, and he started sort of connecting the relationship then between the news, you know, which is, I guess, as you're saying, the public sentiment and then how the markets react to that. And he was, he was sitting in um, a space of commodities at the time too, um, as well as, you know, keeping an eye a close eye on, on the stocks too as well. Um, and he started developing this this sort of observation of the cause and effect relationships that occur within the market and hmm. and everything else that's going on around them. Um, you know, he was inspired by the Beatles and their visit to India, started meditating around this time too. Um, and he considers this to be one of the one of the things that has the greatest impacts on his life since. Wow. So... Um, <laughs> That's certainly, I know that's getting a lot of hype um, mm. over re- certainly over recent years. Again, I imagine mm. it's done a bit of a another one of those, as Ray would say. You know, yeah. 1967, there would have been a real bit of hype generated around sort of meditation, but I imagine it probably also had that sort of little bit, that woo-woo element to it back then, whereas I think it's becoming a little bit more sort of secular in nature now. Mm. Um Mindfulness. Mindfulness, yeah. We can get into that another time, but I, yeah, I've been, get, I've been getting around um, that, Sam I, Harris. Yeah, and, interesting. And he's waking up at. That, that's been really, really good. It's uh, someone I heard on a TV show, someone said, oh, we have to call it mindfulness so we don't have to say meditation so it doesn't feel too Eastern or. Yeah, too woo-woo. <laughs> yeah, it's like we, we basically stole this and renamed it. <laughs> so that people would find it more accessible or something, you know. Like it's just the same thing, isn't it? Right? Public sentiment. Yeah, <laughs> takes the maybe religious element out of it. But so he um, he then shortly after gained entry into the Harvard Business School because I think he smoked his high schooling years, um, which is the opposite of what he was actually doing earlier on. Um, and then eventually, or shortly after, started vacation type work on the New York Stock Exchange. So more and more exposure, you know, from such a young age. Um, and with everything that was going on around this time, as I said, that cause and effect relationships, and that sort of how he is observing them, um, gold was eventually floated and had a subsequent devaluation. Um, he basically learned not to believe what the government said because they had said that they would never float gold because mm. gold was like the measure, the this measure is of the, monetary This when day. Nixon took away the gold standard or whatever. Yeah. And, Floated and, the currency. Yeah, and so he said um, that don't when they assure the you that they won't let a currency devaluation happen, don't believe them. Right. And so that was... That was another another one of his sort of initial yeah. principles that he developed. But he 
he kind of mentally checks these along the way, doesn't he? He's a very self-aware and go, okay, I remember that yeah. sort of thing. Or and and likely probably wrote it down too. Probably yeah. made an observation and wrote it down. Um, and as a result, he sort of he sort of then started developing this um, this whole another one of those, which which I said a little bit earlier on which is where this cycle continues to happen and these these events continue to take place. Mm. You just need to look back far enough or look. He sees the world in cycles essentially. Correct. That certain events, similar events happen over and over again and there's a way to deal with them. Um, so, yeah, he that's what you mean by another one of those. It's like, okay, that was similar to when this happened last time and... I dealt with it this way and that was advantageous or, geez, I stuffed that up and I'll do it differently this time. Yeah. And and, and it's it's also like um, we, we talk about like a couple of his failures mm. you know, in, in a tick, but a lot of those he just attributes to being another one of those, but he just wasn't looking for it or he, or he didn't look far enough back in time or he didn't look to a particular because situation. Because they're not necessarily carbon copies of one another either. Everything's no. different and like it's almost like a, tr- you know, it's a trend but it's not exactly the same so it's hard to pick it up. If it was easy, everyone would be able to do that but there's differences in the timings and the longevity of yeah. these things. And and is, is this particular, you know, is... Um, have we got this particular government in power at the moment or, you know, are, mm. are we this way inclined in this this policy? What's the public sentiment doing at this point in time? Mm. You know, is this a technology company or is this a an agricultural company mm. that we're actually talking about here that's, you know, forming another one of those? Yeah. And is this is this crash instigated by inflation or is it because there's a there's a there's a bubble in a particular market? Something in that nature. So there's so many different variables and elements. Um, it definitely takes a lot of that background experience to really, you know, and technical knowledge to really understand and point out and observe, is this another one of those, as you would say. So anyway, the um, 1973, um, so this was after that initial decline that he'd been exposed to. Um, he became a commodities trader at Dominic and Dominic. Um, which is, yeah. Hilarious now. Yeah. Dominic and Dominic. Spelt exactly the same too. <laughs> I imagine they must have been brothers. Yeah. Oh, Or surely. father and son. Yeah, it's hilarious. Or maybe like uncle and yeah. nephew. Oh. <laughs> anyway, sorry. So he, he, he started, technically started Bridgewater um, at this point in time or shortly okay. after um, out of his apartment. Um, Good but, name, Bridgewater. Yeah, well, they were bridging the water. Much better than Dominic and Dominic. <laughs> well, he made a right choice there. Didn't he? Yeah, he's. Like they were they were bridging they were bridging yeah bridging the gap. Um, was the whole logic behind it? Is I, it? Yeah, I, don't, I don't know what the gap was that they were bridging. It definitely says it. I know it says it in the book, but right. I just can't recall. Um, so, but not a great. I wouldn't say a great deal happened for the sort of next couple of years. Okay, um, it's sort of was started I think there were some things happening and ticking away in the background but you know yeah the, the focus wasn't there 74 he was set up on a blind date with a Spanish woman mm. who ended up Barbara ended right. up becoming his wife 
cool. four kids, you know, still today, they are together. Um, so don't rule out blind dates. There you go, <laughs> yeah. And, and the other thing is I don't think she spoke English very well. Right. So, so they had trouble conversing and communicating. There you go. Um, That's cool. So there you go. You never know. That's right. Um, he eventually or well, shortly after moved on to a bigger brokerage firm but was fired within a year. Um, for being a bit too outlandish. Fired. Yeah. I think he, he, he did, there's something he did with a stripper bringing it into the office or a client really? pitch or something of that nature. Yeah. And probably understandably didn't go down as well. There you go. I always thought he was a bit straight laced. Yeah. Right? Pretty like conservative sort of. Was that in the book? That was definitely in the book. Yeah. Jeez. So, yeah. So I'd be interested to what, see. Was that in the 70s or 80s or something? Well, or? yeah, this is the 70s. So this is mid-70s, yeah, okay. I'd say. Um, but whilst he was at this bigger brokerage firm, he uh, I can't recall the name, but he developed this sort of expertise in um, livestock and sort of grain, the grain markets. So it was quite interesting because it was clients that he had at the company who wanted to maintain connection with him because of his knowledge. The business itself wanted to retain connection with him because he had this, you know, expertise and knowledge. And so as a result, he ended up basically um, going out on his own and relaunching Bridgewater and Associates again. Cool. So the idea was that you'd already had this company set up in the background. Yeah. It hasn't really done much, but it's already there. Let's, let's get it going again. So that's where it, you'd probably say really launched is was in 1975. Yeah. It's interesting like that you can, yeah, not everything has to explode out of the blocks, does it? You can sort of, this is a guy who's got one of the most successful companies ever mm. and he's kind of played with it for a couple of years before he went for it, you know. like I think that that's so true of many things and I think the startup era is a bit, kind of cloaks that a little bit that you can just kind of, get going like these things take years you know well and as we're about to see like even after years mm. big things can happen yeah. to the negative so he um that sort of cause and effect relationship thing that he, he developed um continued to develop and this is where he sort of started calling um his models of the world and his models of investment machines Mm. Yeah, so he talks about these machines where it's basically information goes in and information comes out in some way or another. That's he just thinks that way. Yeah, he's so methodical, or what's the word for it? But he just thinks in a way that's just so logical. Yeah, it's really. logical. He's like Spock almost um, in the way that he he breaks everything down into probably too far for me, but. That approach is super effective and and uh, something you definitely want to take on as well because it's uh, it just works and so it kind of actually it kind of is me though like like we were saying the rote stuff I'm not a rote person I'm more of a theories person so this book really ap- appeals to me for that reason because it's all about that type of thinking I think yeah I um it made me feel a little bit better about myself. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm I'm not as extreme as I thought I was. <laughs> this goes I've got a way, way more to go. out there. <laughs> this goes. Um, so late seventies, he started his famous daily observations, which is like a an update on the market 
oh, yeah. anal- his own analysis. Newsletter. It's like a newsletter. Right. It's similar to um, Berkshire Hathaway's, you know, the, the letters to shareholders type yeah, thing. Okay. But this is Every on, day. A, yeah. on a daily or right. you know, very frequent basis. And the reason he did it was because he, because he was this expert. He was having, you know, lots of phone calls, people coming to him for the, you know, to, to get his advice and he was just spending hours and hours on the phone. So he just wanted to blanket that off, put it out as a newsletter and just direct people towards the newsletter and it, leverage his time. It must be hard to be an expert in something so unknowable like or random, mm. you know, like people coming to you and asking you all this stuff about something that's really – you really can't predict, but part of his thing, I guess, is to accept that you can't predict it, um, and and uh, work with that rather than try and predict things that are somewhat unpredictable, or at least in a concrete way. You can't say definitely tomorrow the share price is going up by two dollars. You know, there's a range of probabilities. I think that's how he approaches things. Probably his life too. Mm. They, they have a very sort of this is the current state of mm. you. You know, this this is our current assessment as yeah. opposed to sort of this forecasting nature. Yeah, okay. And yeah. I think we'll yeah, we'll we're gonna have plenty more conversations about forecasting and yeah. super forecasting. We really looked into that a lot last year, didn't we? Mm. Got quite interested in are things actually predictable or not? Um There's some reassurance along the way. Yeah, and the yeah, there's well I mean there's something later, but you know, because a lot of our jobs our professional life is based on we have to try and predict what's going to happen and then be held to that. But I've always found that it's almost impossible to do it. Maybe I'm just no good at it, but no one seems to be able to do it mm. very well. And it's pretty interesting that no one actually looks into that. Mm. But, um, what's the what's the that club, the, the forecasting club? Oh, the Good Judgment Open. Good yeah. Judgment Project. Project, project. that's right. Yeah. And the Good Judgment opens the competition at the moment that you can predict the future on world events and see how you go. But um, we actually started looking at it. We haven't actually done it. We should do that. Mm. But uh, <laughs> amongst, amongst all the other things. Yeah. yeah. So um, I just wanted to quickly talk about his like the failures. So obviously 1967, um, that was that original decline. He mm. lost like. All the money he'd basically put into the stock market as a you know younger kid. Wow. Um, 1971, he went through the US dollar devaluation. 1974, they had the highest inflation since World War II, which was the worst downturn since the 1930s. 1979, interest rates and inflation rocketed and crashed, um, which was worse situation than the 0708 um, economic crisis. Um, and then along this sort of, you know, he's, he's going through these sort of cause and effect relationships, trying to develop these principles. And um, I don't, I'm not sure whether he called them principles at that point in time, but in 1982, so we're talking from, you know, 75 to 82, which is seven years later, which is kind of that sort of business cycle, Bridgewater nearly collapsed. Wow. And all the employees, so I think there was – was just under maybe 10 employees or something of that nature working for him at that point in time. Um, all the employees had to be let go. Jeez, that's tough. And then it got down to two and then they had to part ways as well. So it was just him. Far out. So he was the only guy. He had to take Was a- this when he went on TV and made a big prediction and was wrong? 
this process. is the the overconfidence. Um, I think that occurs a bit later on. Um, yeah, I thought that was a little bit later on where he had a he was just so confident in something that was going to happen, um, and it ended up being wrong. Mm. Yeah, man, that's interesting. So he lost, loses everything. Lost everything. He took a four grand loan from his old man, from his dad. Um, and he had, he was at this sort of fork in the road, if you will. And he had to, he had to make the decision. Am I going to go back to wall street or am I going to pursue and continue out of mine? He's got a, he's got a young family. I think he had two, two of his sons at that point in time. Wow. His wife to take care of. It's a, yeah, it's a tough situation. And I, I suspect to be, most people would go towards the, go back to full-time work. It's mm. got the security. It's got the, you know, but, but you he. You would at least do a little bit of that, wouldn't you? Yeah. At least you'd, At you least know? to get you out of that sort of. Or, or but, but would you ever, would you ever then break the shackle, you know? I don't know. Yeah. I yeah. guess, I guess that's tough, tough to comment on, but. Yeah. And but he went for it, obviously. You went for it. and Which is ballsy. Yeah, but he like he had he had just like he didn't even have money to go see a, a a client in Texas, which was gonna well and truly cover all the costs of going to see the client in Texas. But he just literally no cash, not, yeah. no cash, nothing, completely liquid. Um, so um, the the reason, yeah, this this it may have been the overconfidence it was certainly whatever happened was because of overconfidence in something and that led him to this sort of pursuit of the timeless and universal principles as he would describe um and from here these big machines that we were talking about before were developed or you know in other words models um and they started investing in technology you know it and computers and things which were sort of an emerging technology at the time as well you know, in, in sort of mm. more of a, a mass-produced way. Um, so they were able to leverage those to input their machines and models into. Um, 1983, up to six employees um, and starting to build up some client client base, so like Alan Bond, you know, the Aussie. You saw him <laughs> through his, like, complete demise. Really? Yeah. So, like, you know, wow. where, where he basically completely... Yeah, that was a big thing here. Huge. Um, Paul Tudor Jones, New York Futures Stock Exchange, the World Bank, Mobile, um, Singer, and became the top performing US bond manager in the world. Just so just you just see this going. evolution happen just because of that continual pursuit and these sort of backed up, backed up by these continually evolving principles. Um, this is really interesting for me, right? He didn't want to. He didn't want to sell these, you know, those retail products that you see all over the the place. You know, almost like those make money quick type schemes and you okay. know various ways to bring in consumers because you can make easy money. Because he wanted to focus on building relationships and creating wealth for his clients. Yeah, that's awesome. Which is sort of the higher moral ground, if you yeah, will. Yeah, that's which, probably you more know, worthy. Not not the easy way. Well, always a, chasing a fly. There is one buzzing around in here. He branched out into China briefly and then back out. Um, Ten people, Bridgewater and Associates by mid-80s. It's still quite a small staff, isn't it? Very small. But I guess you can manage a lot of money. With That's a, it. Yeah. It's like, and, and particularly if they're backed up by all these machines, 
yeah, you know, the, the, the principles and the systems, then they've got quite a bit of leverage per person. 87, um, October 9, 20, uh, October 19th, 1987 was known as Black Monday, which is the single greatest decline in the history of the stock market. But Bridgewater Capital were up 22% and generated, this generated a lot of attention um, towards them, um, which was not to the liking of Ray, who liked to sort of be, you know. Fly it under the radar. Yeah, fly under the radar a little bit more. 20 plus people by the end of the 80s, a couple of dozen. Uh, 1990, uh, they pitched for a $100 million account of Kodak's pension fund, which came off. Major, this is like, big that's a major Back break. in the days. Yeah, major break. Probably not as big now. Um, and then um, some of them, you know, these models and machines that they've been developing for such a long time really started coalescing into these, you know, almost like supermodel type things um, off the back of like emerging research around like portfolio theory and all these other things that just started. You just had the base there that really lent into the, Data computer revolution. Yeah, just started really, you know, making making big ground. 95, 42 employees, $4.1 billion under management. 96, um, this all-weather investment mix that he created, um, which is basically his own personal, for his own personal trust account was why he set it up. He just wanted to have a... a just a, something that's <clears throat> going to survive. Yeah, a portfolio mix that can survive without him. This is where he started sort of really thinking about this legacy yeah. Top space. And now it's what, what today is known as risk parity investing. Okay. So it's basically. You like uh, invented something new. Pretty much. Yeah. That's cool. 2000, $32 billion under management. Wow. So it's sort of just. Yeah. Escalating. Um, and through. It's just the, so much money. Like, how yeah. could you allocate that properly? I don't know. But. I, don't, I don't know. Well, but, I don't know anything about investing. So it's probably not, probably why, but. And the, um, you know, 2000s saw them move from that boutique investor space, you know, which, you know, if you got $32 billion on the manager, I don't <laughs> it's know. It's not that boutique. boutique. Anyway, um, and moved to like this, a big institutional investor space, um, which was the decision they made as a, a company and yeah. Ray wanted to, you know, really move it that way. Um, and this is where they basically were translating. They were just doing what they were doing. Yep. You know, taking advantage of IT that was available and the emerging technology coupled with these supermodels that continue to develop. 2008, just wanted to briefly talk on this, 738 people. So, so we've gone from, you know, in 1995, 42 employees to 2008, 738. Jeez. So really moved out of that boutique space to the <laughs> institutional space, if you will. That's um, a lot. And then obviously we had the GFC. So we had Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers, all the big collapses, the market being obliterated. And, you know, whilst the majority of the market were down sort of 30% or more, you know, if they'd survived, <laughs> these guys were up 14% yeah. on one of their, you know, their, awesome. their standard, which is just... Yeah, that... It gives, you, it gives you an insight into just to how far they'd come in terms yeah. of understanding the markets. Um, and 2010, they had grown so large that they needed to be careful about the positions and moves they made because it impacted on the market itself. <laughs> but again, they just they yeah. had to retweak yeah. their models and things wow. and accommodate for those that and the thresholds and things they're allowed to make. And That's so cool. 
And that leads into sort of 2015 where they had $80 billion under management and 1,500 employees. Yeah. So from 2008 to 2015, they basically, they more than doubled. Smashed it. Yeah, which is... Ridiculous. Yeah, insane. Um, And then moving on to his, beyond this sort of investment phase, this is what sort of instigated the release of this book Mm -hmm. was him transitioning into what he calls the third stage of you know, life, which is sort of passing on the legacy yeah. and building this legacy. So he, he is a quote, passing on knowledge is like passing on DNA. It is more important than the individual because it lives way beyond the individual's life. That's cool. Yeah, because he tried to, I think he almost tried to retire but then stepped back in to be the CEO again, didn't he? Because... It didn't go as quite as planned, but yeah, he, he never really so put much thought into sort of the succession, succession plan. Yeah, but now he's, um, well, I think he's, yeah, semi stepped away from it and is doing more of this principles work where he passes on his what he's learnt. Yeah, which is awesome, and he kind of says he'd love if other people wrote their principles down too, which would be fantastic, you know, to see how they approach things and hopefully it takes off as an idea that people start writing books and that could be something he could try and do is influence some people to write similar books uh, in similar formats perhaps. That'd be interesting. Interesting to see. We should hit him up on on email or LinkedIn or something and say, hey, you should try and do this. (laughs) He's probably probably already doing it. (laughs) Comment 12,000 just, yeah, yeah, that's it, so. Yeah, oh, awesome, man. So that's the um, that's the the brief, <laughs> the brief version of of his uh, of his life and and his career so far. But I think he just had to highlight a couple of just how far he sort of evolved and how he sort of stuck to his guns of you mm. know, in terms of developing these principles, if you will, from then. Yeah, and following certain ways of reflecting on yourself it just you can see in his life it had exponential benefits that okay at the start he was kind of he got off a bit slow made some mistakes etc kept learning and then you know by the time he's in his 70s he's the one of the richest people and most successful people in the world you know um and it didn't he wasn't just born a genius i'm sure he's really smart and all this other stuff, but it's these ability to, you know, keep learning that made him, yeah. Yeah. That the self-growth, the growth trajectory he went on was ridiculous. Well, he was a relentless. inspiring really, isn't it? Yeah. He was like relentless though, like relentless learner. Yeah. And he was, I remember there was um, like when he was, going through that phase of really building these like supermodels and things as we sort of spoke about he he went through every single day of the market during the great depression so you're talking 1930s he's gone through every single day to look at the the trends and the patterns and try and translate that into some sort of principle or imagine if you put that effort into reflecting on what you do now or your particular industry or whatever like no one does passion. that, you know. Yeah, it's totally invested. Yeah, and I, and and big picture thinking, you know. Yeah, but totally in, into and loves loved it. it. Loved it. Loved it. Loves it. Yeah, yeah. 
No, it's pretty awesome. And it's it's great to hear him interviewed and stuff now because it's someone that's just coming out of the woodwork I didn't know existed, <laughs> you know, which is kind of cool. And, yeah, how open he is about all this stuff. So, Which is probably a uh, nice little segue, mate. Oh. Openness, transparency. So essentially, yeah, we've picked out four main points from the book. There's hundreds of points in this book. Like it's got principles, sub-principles, and then sub-sub-principles in true Ray fashion fashion um, machine thinking. But we tried to pull out four things that at least sort of summarise the main big points of the book we think. And then, yeah, go get it because it's an awesome book. And there, there is so much, so much in it. Like, yeah. yeah we, and if you're interested in getting better at anything, you need to read this book. Mm. Whether it's in a team or by yourself or both. Yeah. And as he says, like, you know, take his principles away, give them a test run. And mm. if they don't work for you, tweak them, change them, make your own. Don't follow them. Like, don't follow them. He's them just out. like, hey, this is what's worked for me. If you've got a different objective in life or different perspective, I think different industry. that's fine. But, you know, here's what I do and it's worked for me, but you've got to decide what's right for you and your goals. And I really like that. He's not like, this is the answer to all your problems, you know. He's like, hey, here it is. Take it or leave it. But here's the track record I've been able to, you know, do um, from using it. So, so what's first up? Radical truth and transparency, point one. So he is just ridiculously honest at all times basically between and develops relationships that are radically truthful to the point where I kind of feel like (laughs) they're just being rude to one another probably it's that extreme but he sees this as a massive but is it is it rude you know what I mean I mean well it depends how it's communicated yeah because he talks a lot about this the ego as well yeah and he talks about how the um, we need to move beyond our egos, yeah. And I think I think there's sort of a major development process that happens, particularly because because these principles get applied across Bridgewater and Associates. There's sort of like a what they call call like an eighteen to twenty four month transition period into the company, just just to get used to how it operates. Mm. And some people just simply never get there. Some people. It's just not for them. Yeah, it's not for them. They're, they're able, one, I imagine the intensity of the work environment, but two, just the just how different it operates compared to your sort of traditional business. Yeah. Um, I re- yeah, and I reckon the main takeaway here is that you need to be really, to get great outcomes, you've got to be able to have truthful conversations and for people not to, that just want to... I guess, know the truth and to do that you need to be having conversations that are really honest um, so that you put your points of view across, willing to take on someone else's and also understand, take the ego out of it like you said. If someone's, if if there's a surgeon and your mum and you've got, uh, you need a triple bypass, who are you going to listen to more? For advice, your mum's gonna tell you maybe rub a little bit of lemon on it. <laughs> and the, and, but you're gonna trust the surgeon, aren't you? 
because they're a doctor and they're studied. So not everyone's opinions are equal at all times. And and he goes into great depth about how to talk to one another, how to actually, uh, you know, rate different people's opinions on things, believability weighting he calls it. And, and the other part of it is that he's really transparent about the company. They record all meetings and make them... Um, Broadly available. Yeah, broadly available to the company. They don't, I'm sure they do, but if you're talking about someone behind their back, that's not an acceptable thing to do there. You go and tell them to their face what the problem is and that would be very confronting because it's quite the opposite of most places and human nature perhaps, but it it produces awesome outcomes. Yeah. He he basically says that this is the policy that, that is critical for rapid learning and change. But, you know, it certainly requires you to be vulnerable because yeah. you need to be – it's not just being truthful in, you know, critiquing others, but it's being truthful with yourself. Yeah. You know, and actually, you know, seeing the truth for what it is and not seeing what you want to see. Mm. Yeah. The best operators do this and are able to get past this, yeah. Particularly, yeah, I, I agree. Seeing you, you know, yourself in it is, uh, yeah, it's very hard to see yourself objectively. But the people that try move forward, and everyone knows those people that are stuck in their own form of distorted reality, and they they just stay at the same level because they're th- not willing to learn anything. Mm, I was going to say, how many how many times have you know? to get out of something the easy way, you've told a white lie or to make someone feel better about a situation, yeah. you've told a white lie, you know. And, and you're actually not doing them a favour. You're not, you're actually yeah, honey, you look choosing great. yourself. <laughs> oh, you're actually choosing yourself that. over there. <laughs> that was a bad example. <laughs> no, uh, that was one I pulled off the movies. Truthful, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, you know, you're actually not doing them a favour because you're, you're taking that learning opportunity away from them. You're actually being selfish which is kind of a really interesting way to think about it. Grandma, it takes a lot of practice. Grandma's corned beef. <laughs> this is shit, Grandma. <laughs> uh, it's been stewing away for six yeah. hours in the pot. Yeah, that's it. And the Brussels sprouts got thrown in there too toward, you know, for yeah. the last two hours. Is uh, having these type of conversations that come easy to you? The, tr- the, the op- completely open it. Like, no, absolutely not. No, me neither. Um, but it's certainly something I've been trying to yeah. push towards. I think it's important to say as well, the other thing it doesn't mean is that the person who just brings everything up all the time in an aggressive way is doing the right thing. No, they're just an asshole as well. That's not what he's saying here is you need to deliver it in a way that's constructive and as as is compassionate as well but it's just honest because everyone knows that that person that's you know highly aggressive or says whatever's on their mind all the time yeah uh, which 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 quite often that aggressive person also has the biggest ego out of the entire and he's less able to group. take criticism too right yeah less able to take criticism and quite often can be just simply the need for them to be right mm. or the need for them to have the higher ground or the power position um, to mean that they're going to talk about that. Um, 
I think you, you know, as you said, that there's the delivery, and and it's not it's not you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you how shit you are at um, forecasting, Lockie, but I'm just gonna preface it with, um, oh, you're a really great bloke though to begin with. It's kind of like you need to be as truthful in in sort of in in opening up maybe a, a positive about them or talking to some way in which that they you know, put some genuine time and effort into into that mm. and then talk about the the critique if if needed because quite often people preface things with you know you're going really well here but you know that I really lo- really love the report you put together but which that doesn't help either like, no it doesn't just, because it's sort it's of not like very genuine there's like this emptiness yeah empty positive followed by yeah the real negative that's right yeah that doesn't work either no um but uh, what about the transparency as aspect of it like transparency in the company is really interesting as well like that they basically give information to everyone of everything that's besides you know things that have to be confidential you know, well, I reckon that's really powerful too, and counter and somewhat counterintuitive. Like, it seems like people run with that and do the wrong thing, or that's the implication behind why you don't tell people a bunch of stuff. But it turns out that's not really true. It's a fair leap of faith to act on that, isn't it? It's massive, but we're actually sort of noticing a lot of you know, a, a number of companies moving in a similar direction, you know. Mm. And it's because they, um, they're probably so far in front of any other company, you know, that sort of first mover space. They're so far in front of any other organisation they couldn't possibly catch up to mm. them. Um, it's because they could be just so good at doing what it is that they do, you know, because they've been following it that they're the ones that really understand what that means and how to do it it's a bit like this book and it just because i've read this doesn't mean i can now be a uh even when i read the one about markets doesn't mean i'm going to be ray not at all it's the <laughs> knowledge isn't the problem it's just yeah i think there's a real misunderstanding sometimes that okay if i tell someone how i do this then they're gonna do it and they're not gonna really do it if they want to, they'll do it in their own way. And if you're already doing it anyway, then you're probably further ahead and they actually trust you because you've told them. Yeah. But that's about actual knowledge, but also just being transparent about, say, how much a business is making or why they're doing X or Y or strategy. And it just brings people along for the ride. I think they appreciate it. The um, I had a couple of good quotes I wanted to read out. Um, which I think ties back to um, that sort of getting in touch with yourself to enable this and to actually to actually create value from it, um, which is you know replace your attachment to always being right with the joy of learning what's true. Mm. Yeah. So people, a lot of people That's pull cool. back. Yeah. Or they, you know, they'll, they'll it'll trigger that that sort of devilish ego inside to to argue your point to stand your ground but don't worry about being right it was it's more about the sort of pursuit and the joy 
of, of the learning that comes yeah. from whatever, whoever is right, whoever, whatever is right in that situation. Um, and just the other one was, uh, don't worry about looking good, worry about achieving your goal. Oh, I like it's it. It's very preachy, but, but very important. It's not you, it's this, it's this beautiful, beautiful book. P- point two, pain plus reflection equals progress. That is something he talks about a lot and it kind of comes from the first one. Once you're able to see yourself a bit better and you're noticing the world around you and you're talking in honest ways with people, you start to realise what you're doing wrong and it hurts, right? Or something bad happens to you and you feel terrible about it or you do the wrong thing or something like that. You're going to feel hurt. But he views that. And this is actually a better, much, much more accessible, better way to describe learn from your failures, isn't it? Because when something bad happens or it hurts, dig into that and think about it and reflect on it and think about what you do differently next time and then don't make the same mistake again. Yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't fall into the insanity cycle. What is it? The Do something one... Do something wrong once, and um, you're you're just silly. You're stupid. Do something wrong twice. You are um, you're ignorant. You're naive. And do something wrong three times in a row, then you're you've gone insane. <laughs> yeah. so, I've yeah, completely like, botched that up. Yeah, I like your attempt. It's yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> Not as snappy as the real quote, but you know that's all right. <laughs> Feel the idea, that pain, the idea is reflect out. on that and progress. See, now, see now, now after having yeah. screwed that right up, <laughs> I'm going to reflect <laughs> and next time I'm going to, next episode, I'm yeah. going to bring that quote yeah. in, into the next episode. That's <laughs> right. I'm going to smash it out to begin with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but he, see, but he, sees, he sees pain as not being a negative thing. He sees pain as being a blessing and something to lean into. He also links it to an emotion, right? Or a feeling like pain is a, is a feeling or an emotion. I think this is where his meditation stuff comes in is that you, once you can recognize that in yourself, you can stop yourself and go, Oh, I'm feeling this, that might. And intellectually, I know I've got to lean into this and actually figure it out instead of just subconsciously shying away from the pain whatever it is about um which is kind of interesting too but he does so much reflection now i don't think many people reflect at all it's something i've tried starting to try and do a lot more of you know we both do you write it down or do you just think about write a journal once a day if i'm disciplined but often i miss days Mm. um and try and do meditation uh, once a day as well again don't always achieve that, but have managed to keep up some form for a couple of years. Um, mentoring, talk to people, do stuff like this. Started writing a blog to try and crystallize some ideas, you know, and that reflective process is something I've really picked up from this book that it's just, if you're doing that and other people aren't, you're going to hopefully go ahead of them quite quickly and make it give yourself a happier life anyway because you understand yourself better but um, allows you allows you to be more in touch with not just what's going on around you but yourself mm. um i was i reflect back on yeah, 
use that word well, I reflect Good back segue. on to um, some of the kayaking. We were talking about kayaking earlier, some yeah. of the kayaking training that we're doing. And it was just so interesting. Like I remember, I remember we were paddling from um, Barwon River across across the rip, across to um, Mornington Peninsula side, and and then back in the same day. It was probably like a you know sixty k paddle day. And this is this is well into our training, but by this point in time, I'd I'd started seeing how much of an impact just a slight shift in in your body or a slight shift in your technique or or how you're holding yourself or what you were tensing um, and how much of an impact it would make in the long run, which is really, really interesting because previously I'd, you know, I'd start to get in pain in the shoulders. So I'd start to sort of relax the shoulders. And then eventually, because I'd tweak my back to the right a little bit to allow for my right shoulder that was getting sore, then my right right side of my back was getting sore and you were sort of just reacting immediately to this pain but then by this point and this is when we first sort of started kicking off with the you know the the real training sessions but jumping into into these longer sessions later on in the piece you start making little tweaks so instead of you know maybe dropping the right shoulder you might try and have it slightly tense the core a little bit better or make your posture a little bit better and it doesn't actually relieve the pain immediately, which is what you're doing previously. But over the course of the next, the coming sort of five, 10 minutes, the pain gradually subsides. Mm. And what ends up happening is the pain dissipates and you end up being able to hold yourself in that position for a far more extended period of time. And it was quite interesting just how much of these nuanced differences and trying to find the balance between them um, particularly on some of these, you know, these longer, longer paddles we're doing, it just made the trip so much better. Um, and and it was interesting how you could progress that and continually work on that throughout. Mm. And there was all, you know, there's always niggles in the body, but you could all you could just keep working at. Okay, there's pain here. How am I going to reflect on that, and how am I going to adjust rather than just reacting immediately to that? particular situation so pretty handy yeah that's cool um my mind went to when i was probably maybe five seven years ago or something like that i was working on a project when i worked for tease um working on the tall sydney alliance and you know, did a lot of hard yards on that project, learnt a lot. I was probably pretty green as well as an engineer, but I th- did thought I did a pretty good job. Came to the end of the project. All my teammates got moved to the next project and there was a few of us left. We got made redundant and it hurt like an absolute... Didn't really expect it. Didn't see why... Other people got moved on to the next job, but I didn't, despite what I thought I'd done a quite a good job. Um, and, yeah, I was really angry about it for quite a long time. Probably still am a little bit, but... <laughs> but, but you don't sound angry. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, then after a little while I and some time off, I started to actually think about, okay, 
why did this actually happen and talk to some of my friends and and realize that while I thought doing a good job was enough that you need to be building good relationships and playing a, a little bit of a political game too and actually um there's a whole other side to working somewhere that you need to be um, tending to as well. And there were some things in my performance I could do better as well. And trying to go through that, that took me a lot of long, lot of months to figure out. But then when I was on my next job, I managed to get promoted instead of fired. <laughs> <laughs> You've come a long way. (laughs) It's like um, it's just that's where my mind went to and that was quite an extreme sort of thing But for me at the time. But But it's also interesting how you, you know, you're like, how could I, you didn't just say, how could I have done that job better, you know, could I have have had my budgets Mm. more on target, could I have had, you know, my program a little bit tighter for how I was running the job or could I have, you know, I could have paid more attention to safety or something. What, what was I doing wrong? But instead, that wasn't the problem. It wasn't the technical engineering, if you will, or the yeah. construction that, we, that was falling. It was, it was this other element, slightly, slightly askew, which was really in the bigger, bigger scheme of things had more of an impact. Yeah. And but, I wasn't self-aware enough at the time to pick it up before it was a problem, you know. And it comes back to having that reflective process throughout as well as yeah when you do when you are hurting you got to try and you got to figure it out and that one is just one that you kind of I couldn't ignore because you know it's my livelihood I need another job but there's certain other things in the past that I've just pushed to the side because oh that hurts or that feels a bit uncomfortable I'm not going to deal with that or address that and that's been a a chance, you know, you lose the ability to actually grow if you don't do that. So, yeah. something trying to realize more in the moment. Would you say during that you had a goal going through that experience? Um, Did you have a goal to discover what went wrong or to probably, work out what went wrong? Probably or, not. Or a goal to just get another job with another company? Or? I think you. You've just got to, like it's, it wasn't that defined, you know, you've just got to kind of keep going, don't you? Mm. I think goal, I would have had a goal to get another job because that's kind of no-brainer, but I wouldn't say I would have defined that as a goal at the time necessarily in that way. You're yeah. just kind of fumbling through it. Yeah, which is quite interesting because whilst you, I feel like if whilst you may not have had a, you know, a discreet goal of, you know, now I get another job. I imagine you're, you're subconsciously going, you so I need to get another job. I yeah, 100%. Job. I need to get another job. <laughs> Definitely. i got to get myself sorted. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, that, was my, um, that was my really shitty segue into my next point that I want to talk Ooh, to you about. Do. Um, which was about the five-step process that he describes of, you know, continually evolving, really. And whilst... This, this just seems so obvious. You know what I mean? Mm. And, and I think there's probably a lot of things in the book that, that seem quite obvious. But until you... If you don't define it, then you don't really understand it properly, do you? And that's 
yeah, like that comes down to this as well. Until you've read this and understand this process, it's obvious people do it, but if you define it and understand it a bit better and then place an importance on it, you're going to do it way more and, and do it with an understanding and get better at it. Whereas most people kind of do this sometimes because they naturally find out it's the good, it's a good thing to do. Does it resonate yeah. with you? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Like the classic, the classic case is right in this five step process, you know, you go through the, you know, what go is through it? All the, all the, okay. So the step one is goals. So have clear goals. Step two is the problems. So identify, don't tolerate the problems that stand in the way of you achieving your goals. Um, and don't mistake a cause with the real problem as well is another one. What's that, mate? So like what has caused the problem versus what is the problem? I see. Okay. So, you know, um, the, the, um, the, problem, the problem is that my, my sink um, is – flooding or has that the, the sink the sink itself is is flooding water you know there's water dripping out the bottom of the sink so but i'm blaming the reason that the tap is on the cause or a cause as being the problem mm. whereas the problem is you've got a hole in your sink yeah yeah okay i understand we got there yeah <laughs> no, that wasn't bad <laughs> I was I was looking at my peripheral peripheral vision there. Give me something room. Yeah. <laughs> <I was> like <laughs> scouting for something I could yeah. pull out. But yeah, so the the problem in that situation is fix the bloody sink. Yeah. And then yeah. And that's that's the problem, not the fact that the tap is on. Yeah. Yeah. It's just because we turn the tap on doesn't mean that the, the sink's gonna leak every single time. Um so diagnose. So accurately diagnose the problems to get to their root causes. Uh, it's critical here to not enter solution mode, um, and this, which can lead to sort of the suboptimal results, um, due to not really understanding what the problem is. What the core problem. So is. if you had a kept tweaking the uh, on your sink there, the just tap, the, the, the tap, and just you know gradually turning it down and up. Or, oh shit! When when we get it down to right down to this really just trickle, there's not much water coming. In fact, it gets to a point where there's no water coming out of that hole. That's it's sitting there in the side. Um, that must be we've we've solved the problem. And the next time you go to do the dishes, you're dripping again. Mm. So it's about really diagnosing what the problem is and not skipping skipping that stage. Design is step four. So uh, design plans that will get around the problems. Um, it was really interesting to note here that it must enable accountability too. And you must be accountable for who's know, going to do what. Who's going to do what? And but you must be accountable that you have put together. This is your design. Mm. This is your diagnosis. This is your problems, or that you've developed in collaboration with others, or whatever. Um, but must be accountable so that it can be really measured later on, mm. and we can work through what if something goes wrong again. Yeah, how we can fix it and do. Do what's necessary to push these designs through to results. So implement. So I think the, you know, what we're talking about there is um, quite often, particularly for myself, is I'll enter solution mode way before we've really diagnosed the problem. And I'm not saying that in the case of looking at the sink, you can't pretty well design what you're going to do pretty much straight away because you've gone through a, a pretty quick process of, 
mm. identifying the problem and diagnosing the solution. That's an obvious one. But in some of these more complex, you know, real-world examples, you know, particularly in the workplace. Mm. Um, it's very methodical what he's talking about, isn't it? It's just... Yeah. Yeah, he... uses those steps to make sure that you know exactly it prompts you to do the deeper diagnosis and those things that are important and by because he's got it written down and understood he's gonna it's adaptable to whatever he comes up against but it's also yeah it's there in front of him i guess so he doesn't have to remember this or kind of do it because it's kind of what he does he fully understands it and and he's dug deeper and deeper into it over time. Talking about digging deeper and deeper, I'm going to bring up a uh, an example from my construction life. Oh, <laughs> so we add on one of the projects I was working on. We were having this problem where um, digging, excavation, we were constantly hitting services. Now it was a greenfield site, so it was all services that we'd installed right. previously on the project <laughs> and they were just getting smashed to pieces, you know. Ugh. And so the, the immediate solution, skipping all the, other, all the other pieces in the puzzles of the problem, the diagnosis, you know, this is hap- and this is happening every day. It was happening wow. every single day, hitting services, what is going on? All right, so... Which is a big no-no. Yeah, it's a big no-no. Like that's a major issue. Nothing had been commissioned, nothing being energised, thankfully, but... You know, if we if we hadn't eventually got to the right solution, this could have been a major problem later on um, when things were a little bit, you know, you got live power running through the place. So what did we do? We The first point of call was to adjust the way in which we were going about the excavation process, which was to increase the factor of safety on how we could approach the services, you know. So instead of coming within half a metre of these things, we can now only come within two metres of these things and then we've got to go about other means. What this compl- That assumes you know where they are. That assumes that you know where the services are. Yeah. And that also assumes that the services have been installed as they were meant to be installed in the first place. Yeah. And so we're still hitting things yeah. after this accommodation, been, you know, allowance had been made. And so the real problem was in a lot of cases that the services, for whatever reason, hadn't been installed right. Um or that they, um, or that they'd been slightly offset in a way that they, that had meant that they were eventually hit. Yeah. So, overlooked the problem and the diagnosis of the problem, and went straight to designing a solution which didn't even meet the root cause at all. And as a result, if you're going to alternate means in this situation, you know, time is money, and and money is the most important thing on the uh, construction site, as you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> then you're spending extra money taking your time to go around these services. You're spending extra money on doing it in an inefficient method, which might be, you know, Hydrovax or whatever else. Mm. De- getting into very technical speak here. Um, so you've sort of got this double whammy, but you haven't actually addressed the problem. Yeah. Whereas if we'd gone back and gone, okay, let's check that these been installed as per design and then can make sure that we install all services in the future to design and make sure that and verify that it is to the design, mm. then we'd be able to retain our previous, you know, factor of safety as as we had 
and we would have had nowhere near the the amount of misses and hits and various yeah. things that we had. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. It's just, uh, yeah, it seems kind of obvious, right? Mm. But no one does it. <laughs> it's a, it's that really explicitly pointing out each yeah. of those steps along the yeah. way, and then and then actually following them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's another that's another and step it in the kind process. Kind of, you need the first two to be able to to action all that, particularly in your own life. You got anything? anything the last from- thing is, I think. I interrupted you there. No, I was going to say, was there anything, any any time that you've skipped those steps in the process? I'm perfect. So yeah, I thought no. you were. <laughs> <laughs> Never happened to me. Nah, all the time. I reckon I still skip a lot of that. But particularly, I think the one comment I've got is just that if you're in that flight, get things done mode, rather than the deeper thinking analysis mode, that I reckon there's the two types of, main types of thinking you can do at work, then you're going to be just trying, you're in fix it mode. What do they say? Everything looks like a nail to a guy with a hammer. Hmm. Um, And if you get into that deeper sense of, okay, like Ray's saying there, is trying to analyse things objectively and, and, you know, really take your time in the moment, rather than rushing into a solution, you can have a much better outcome if you took 15 minutes at the start to properly figure it out or talk to the right people or get the right team together or actually believe the guy who knows about it instead of yourself and all that sort of stuff. So I think it's constant sort of battle to make sure that you're not so busy that you can't think clearly through things. And sometimes it's just stopping. Yeah. Just Stop. Five, everyone's got five minutes. Everyone's got five, yeah, or well, five seconds just to stop. <laughs> yeah. You know, because quite often people don't even take the five seconds to stop to think about it. It's just yeah. straight into action. Yeah, that's it. Missed the point. So something that helps with this, last point, write down your principles. And this is pretty cool, I reckon, because that's what he's done and he encourages everyone else to write things down and start to figure out how you operate. And you'll come to realizations that'll help you reflect on yourself about, oh, this is what I think about this. or And it can help you actually bounce that off other people and explain it to other people and be a better leader if you're in that position or figure out where your weaknesses are properly and address them. And so start what he reckons is start writing things down. I like it. Where, where do you write them down? I... Write them, probably mainly I try and bring them together in this blog I've started, um, which we might even put a little link up oh, to that. Oh, do a plug, mate. Personal plug. <laughs> which is like around, I guess I'm just trying to put my own principles down around how I think the world works and um, how to do things, I guess. Well, you've, you've certainly ticked the uh, the accountability box there. You know what I mean? You, you're putting it out into the, the wide open world. So. Yeah. And the, the advantage of, you know, the blog as well is you've got a bit of a chronology of it mm. and you've also, you know, I imagine there's some sort of tagging system or something of that nature which can be, if not already, you know, put into it that you can sort of go back and, you know, these are some principles that I've got around investment, 
or around philosophy or around mm. renovating your house yep. or whatever it is. You know, you've got that ability to sort of tag things yeah. up and, and put them down in that and respect. And I'm sure I'll come back to stuff and realise that I don't agree with it anymore, but that's part of it too. And, you know, Ray's filled a 600-page book with his that are super refined. Um, I'm at the start of that process, but it's certainly helping me get some clarity on why and how I do things and some things that I don't know why I do them and should I be sort of thing. So that's kind of a process that's kind of forced me to start writing things down in a succinct way as well as take a journal, which is just a free flow brain dump of my thoughts, I guess. Yeah, and quite often going back and looking at the journal, you notice that these, you know, there's rules and little things that stand out, these cause and effect relationships that just stand out to mm. you upon reflection and looking at that that journal later on. Mm. It's quite interesting how in the moment of writing that journal, the free flow, as you say, you don't notice that there's something going on here and then going back and looking at them or looking at multiple versions of them, you start to see patterns that play out and these cause and effect relationships develop. So Yeah, and I think also just reading books and listening to podcasts or audiobooks or watching documentaries or reading literature or whatever, learning new things helps you reflect on what you're doing. Like, you know, I always use that example with people. The way I think about it is you go travelling, right? You head out into go to Vietnam or something. You know, they live very differently to the way we live and it makes you reevaluate some of the things you're doing. And it lets you look at yourself a lot easier when you see, you know, you learn through difference, I think. Observing someone doing something completely different makes you think, geez, well, I actually, you know, do this or I drive a car, but everyone drives a motorbike over there. Why do I drive a car? It's so much easier to get around on a motorbike or what have you. Um, I would have never had that thought. but um, Different perspective. It's a perspective thing, yeah, so... But you've got to be open to that perspective too. Right? True. <laughs> hey? Yeah, true. Which um, that's that can be hard. Yeah. So. Mind, the mindset for growth. Do, do you write anything down? Yeah. Or how are you forming your principles? I we've got the blog, but I think there's I think in terms of actually capturing more of the principles, it's again through the journal, mm. but also within um, I use Evernote. And Evernote's got this really good tagging system. Cool. Or you've got this real ability to to set up tags in a pretty that's intuitive awesome. way. Yeah, cool. And so that's that's how I do it. And I've actually yeah. got a you know got a tag called principles, and then you can set it up. <sighs> nice. Beyond there, we'll have to publish them. Hey, we'll get we'll get six hundred pages worth first, <laughs> tried and tested. That's scary. <laughs> What's one thing that you'll change because of this book or you have probably have changed because it's been a long time since we've read it? Yeah, I think I think you pretty much hit hit the nail on the head is actually um um writing down the principles. Yeah. You know, actually put them down on paper, put them somewhere that they can be challenged or put them somewhere that you can challenge them or that you can remember them or when you want to talk about them you can easily recall them. Mm. I think that's number one. Um, number two, Dahlia has set the benchmark in terms of 
principles. So now, as I said at the start of the episode, I do not feel anywhere near as um, out there mm. as what I did in terms of sort of process type thinking. Yeah. And then the other piece was, and I think this this maybe comes from that sort of mindful nature that you're talking about. I think maybe is a, is a part instigator, but recognizing when that pain triggers and leaning into it, not mm. not pulling back. Cool, because I think that's 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 a, the crux, and certainly that pain plus you know reflection equals progress. That can't happen if you don't see the pain. Yeah, and then if you don't lean into the pain, that's my. That's cool. What about you? I think the biggest thing I've done is start reflecting more and trying to be more um, open about and honest with myself about different things, the way I'm acting or doing and trying to see things objectively. Really work on that reflection piece, I think. That's the uh, one thing I've done. Has anything? Has there been any sort of notable examples that, you know, thing, ways you used to act Versus now how you do act um, in a situation? I think that uh, that's a tricky question. Absolutely. Um, what exactly that is, I think definitely certainly sometimes I would feel like I would be, you know, oh, yeah, I'm really valuing um, I'd put work in certain situations over my personal life sometimes uh, and realising that 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 didn't really align with how I actually valued things, I'll switch that up quite a lot. Um, probably more subtle things. I wouldn't say I was a workaholic or anything, but, you know, um, if I need, like I would, I would never take a sick day, whereas now I'm like, if I'm sick, no one wants me at work anyway, so I'm going to stay home. Or if there's something important going on or even if it's not, like life or death, I'll take the day off and deal with it, you know. Mm. And trying to realign that a little bit was probably one of the big ones for me. So, it's a, and that's a, that's a really interesting one, right? Because that whole sick day thing, no one else wants you there. No. You don't want to be making people sick. The reason you still go to work is there's this sort of concern about how others think. Or, but you know, I, I think or, it's partly that thinking for me, it's like thinking that the whole world's going to crash down if I'm not there. No. Runs fine. <laughs> Still fine. going. Still doing its thing. They're smart people. They'll figure it out. Yeah. Like, I'm not that important. Fuck. You know, it's kind of like, hey, that's the ego. You got to dumb that down. So, yeah, and the control freak. So, but it's a, uh, it's a good journey. If you really embrace some of this stuff, I'm still trying to. But you know, hey, that's continual. It's a good continual journey. I mean, I'm actually. I'm actually excited to reread the yeah, book. Yeah, I think I'm going to reread it. If you want to actually access this quite easily as a start, if you're on Instagram or Twitter or any of them, there is an account that of his that he posts one of these each day and it's a good just easy way to start to incorporate it into your life. Get into it. And, and if you have read the book, it's probably good to follow anyway because they're good little reminders. Yeah, because there's so much in there. Oh. Probably... Too much sometimes, but good, good to delve into. So, excellent. I think that's a wrap, mate. Awesome. 
that was good uh good first episode again love again. it yeah <laughs> pulled it in just under two hours that's not too bad for our rambling <laughs> cheers <laughs>